And so, my fellow Americans, ask not what your country can do for you, ask what you can do for your country. In the councils of government, we must guard against the acquisition of unwarranted influence, whether sought or unsought, by the military-industrial complex. That we can, and so help us God, we will make America great again. What's up, guys? Welcome to another episode of the No Gimmicks Podcast. I'm your humble host, as always, Brady Leonard. I hope you guys are having a great week. Um, a lot to get to today, as always. Tons to get to. I was joined by my good friend, Tyler Grant. Uh, it's always a good time talking to Tyler. I uh, hope you guys enjoy it. Uh, before I get to my chat with Tyler, I want to say hi to our sponsors over at 1776 United. 1776 United is the absolute best conservative apparel company anywhere in the country. They are really fantastic. If you haven't checked these guys out yet... What do you do? You got to check them out. Um, all their designs are super creative. All their all their apparel is is the highest quality. It fits great. I'm wearing their gear right now. Um, you can check them out at 1776united.com. That is 1776united.com. They have anything you need, uh, any kind of shirt, tank, uh, hoodie, sweatshirts, hats, whatever you need for both men and women. It is great stuff. Uh, make sure you use the promo code gimmicks. Once again, the promo code gimmicks for 15% off of your order. I also want to say hi to our friends over at Premier Vapor. If you smoke and you want to quit, or if you vape already, you need to check out Premier Vapor. They have the largest selection of premium e-liquid anywhere in the country. It is really great stuff. It is all made safely and professionally in their state-of-the-art lab out in California. They have any kind of mod, battery, tank, coil, anything you need for for your vape setup, they have. Um, Check them out at Premier Vapor and Lounge. Dot com. That is premiervaporandlounge.com. They will give you free shipping on all orders over 35 bucks. And uh, if you are in Northwest Ohio, they have physical locations in Perrysburg and Holland, Ohio. So definitely check them out. Uh, and if not, once again, premiervaporandlounge.com. And if you haven't already, guys, please follow us on Twitter at NoGimmicksPod. Please subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Google Play. Please give us a five-star rating and a good review if you are on iTunes. That helps us move up the, the iTunes rankings. Uh, so I'd really appreciate that. And if you like what you're hearing and want to get involved, you can hit us up over on Patreon, patreon.com slash Podcast. All right, without further ado, here is my chat with Tyler Grant. <laughs> All right, guys, we're here with Tyler Grant. Tyler, thanks so much for taking the time, my friend. Always great to be here. Absolutely. Oh, by the way, before we get started, I saw you made, uh, uh, I believe it was Washington Examiner's uh, Conservatives 30 Under 30 list, so congrats. I did. Thanks. Really appreciate it. It was pretty. Uh, it was a nice honor to receive. Yeah, I, I uh, unfortunately will never get that honor, uh, considering that I turn 30 in a couple months. So I, uh, I definitely missed my, my window there. <laughs> so obviously a big week. Um, uh, a big week in, in the in the world of politics. I, I went through the whole legacy of George H.W. Bush on the last show, and I got in. I kind of lost it on Monday's podcast. Um, I don't think I'm really uh, ready to back down from any of that, but I did. I went pretty hard against the media. Uh, I went so far to <laughs> apologize to the audience for blasting Trump when he would say the the press is the enemy of the people. Because this past week, I I honest to God feel they have behaved. Uh, like the enemy of the American people. It's been really, really shameful. Um, and there's a lot of different angles we can take there. But just overall, what do you make of the reaction from the press uh, to the death of George H.W. Bush? On the whole, I think it's been pretty positive. I mean, a lot of, you know, you see Google, 
is is throwing an honor uh, to to George H W Bush on on their site. You see a lot of uh, sites doing you know similar things honoring uh, HW, which is, you know, overall really, really positive. It's very similar to kind of the, the the celebration and remembrance that we saw for Senator McCain. Uh, some of it's been really bad. You have all these, these little think pieces that are ready to go about how HW is actually this, this problematic political figure and how celebrating, you know, the different things that he, he, he did throughout his career is, is problematic. But and we're going to see that. We'll we'll see that when when W passes away. We'll see that when when other uh, famous conservatives pass away. These these think pieces about the different problems that they have. But overall, I think I think it's been I think it's been fairly positive. I mean, you have your Looney Tune leftist blogs you know, like Slate posting crazy stuff. I mean, I'm sure you've got a tweet or two queued up. But I mean, they they, they like to do these these crazy little minutia think pieces to try to take away from the legacy of a great person. And it's unfortunate, but it's a reality that we're going to experience now in a political world where you're just trying to get clicks. Right. I, I think a lot of these these outlets, though, even some of the more mainstream ones, um, like Slate and these guys, they don't even count in my in my mind. They're they're just hacks. But right. even if you look at like the Associated Press, what they tweeted, you know, minutes after it was announced that Bush had passed, it was negative. Right. Like it was a. I mean, that was, was a bizarre. That was a bizarre tweet. They called him a, a patrician. Right. And, I mean, weird. And I all I, I did on, on the last show, I just quoted that treat, tweet, and then I quoted the tweet from uh, AP uh, moments after Fidel Castro, obviously the communist genocidal dictator of Cuba, died, and it, right. they were it was <laughs> they were glowing over Castro. I mean, they were praising Castro and then blasting a man like George Bush, and that that's the Associated Press. They're as mainstream as it gets. Um, and so, I mean, that was very disappointing. What drives me absolutely crazy and why I kind of flipped out on the last podcast is the whole hashtag strange new respect thing that people on the left do when, like you saw it with, with John McCain when he passed away and the same thing now with, with George Bush. The left really seems to like dead Republicans. They, they seem to really appreciate dead Republicans, not so much when they're alive. I mean, they called George Bush in, in the late 80s, early 90s, the exact same stuff that, that they say about Trump. They called him a racist. They called him a Nazi. You know, he's incompetent. He's this and that. And now it's, oh, isn't he great? I mean, he's dead, so he's great. Isn't he so much better than Trump? Oh, we wish he was president. No, you don't. You called him Hitler. You called, you, you thought this man was the devil. So the whole, like, you know, there's no good Republican other than a dead Republican thing is really getting on my nerves, man. Yeah, I mean, that's something that I've, I've noticed as well. It's it's a bizarre phenomenon that we see. And I, and I don't really know what the end goal is for, for some of the Democrats and certainly the, the lefty publications that, that throw things out there like that. Because you, you in life, with people that agree with you and want to do the things that you want to do and get done, I mean— it's it's bizarre the average American thinks or, or the average kind of lefty publication tries to push out this narrative that the average Republican just hates the poor is some sort of, I don't know, oligarch in an Ivy League country club somewhere in New England that's trying to manage the poor guy that's going to the, the coal, you know, the coal mine. Like that's just not it's just not a reality. Like the average American agrees about what we're trying to do with freedom and liberty and you know maybe we we battle out the nuances of that and what that looks like and where the money comes from for some of that, but it's just it's it's weird just to destroy people's lives and reputation for people that spend five minutes tuning in 
to TV and say, oh, Trump, Nazi. Oh, my God. Like, that's ter- terrible. Because if you actually believe some of these these narrative points, if you actually believe that if if so and so is elected, millions of women are going to die. If you if you believe if something if something happens, like hundreds and hundreds of children are going to be turned into poverty. I would hope you'd do more than tweet about it. And the, yeah. and the fact that these people can toss these things out with just complete impunity and no one calls them on it. And then, you know, 15 minutes later, we've moved on to another thing. Uh, I mean, that's just wildly, wildly irresponsible and problematic for me, at least. Right. I mean, that's a that's a solid point, because if these people actually believed that, uh, you know, there was a Hitler-esque figure, you know, running the government and millions of people are going to die if you pass tax cuts, it would be your responsibility to take up arms, form a militia and overthrow the government. I mean, hands down. I mean, like, if they actually believed what they were saying, they would have no choice but to form an army and and overthrow Washington D.C. Yeah, you you should be in the streets that that moment with a hundred of your closest buddies. That that's it's insane. It's a it's a rhetoric problem. It's an absolute rhetoric problem that people know that they have to gin people up in some way because the average person right now is doing well. The average person has a job. Uh, we we have the lowest employment that we've seen in ever. Is it? Is it for is it ever that we've seen this low employment three percent? Right, I believe uh, it hasn't hit three percent since uh, the late sixties. Is that what it is? Okay, so I mean the lowest unemployment that we've seen in in decades. People people are getting are making more money than they've ever made. Uh, equity between uh, gender pay is the closest it's ever been ever. Uh, uh, women are graduating college more than men. Women are graduating grad school more than men. We have uh, we have diversity more than we've ever seen before. We have religious tolerance more than we've ever seen before. Uh, there's been a small uptick of uh, anti-Semitism and uh, anti-minority uh, uh, violence, but that's uh, you know from what I've seen, it's it's just a small marginal difference, and certainly something that we we can improve on. Other things that we can improve on. Uh, our, uh, our various spending and some of our deficit spending, we sure we certainly need to work on that. But I mean, overall, the nation is healthy. It's well. Uh, we've got a robust economy that, that's certainly going to have a uh, adjustment. I would say in the next six to eight months. I mean, it's it's a necessary adjustment. It's the the cycle of the economy and a buyer's economy. Right. But overall, things are going well, and people have to figure in the media. People, both sides. I mean, both sides do this. You have to figure out a way to make people hate the other. Other fifty percent of the population, and that and that's and that's the real crux of the problem. That the five percent on each side that has the 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 ability and time to really think these matters through and, and focus on on messaging and, and party politics and and throws out the crazy stuff to make people not like each other in America. I mean, you're seeing that from the left, just destroying good men and go destroying good people. I mean, even with like Nikki Haley, who's like a uh, for all intents and purposes, is a great person and a very popular politician. There's there's many attempts to make her seem as if she was part of a corrupt uh, Trump government and administration. It's 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 gross. It's problematic. The AP. Uh, I was shocked uh, with how they they treated that when taking a body blow when they didn't need to take a body blow. It's just it's an odd way of, of dealing in modern politics. Yeah, it certainly is. And before we move on from this topic, I do have to read the best uh, anti-George Bush tweet, and that was from our friends over at Slate. Um, they they really messed up, man, because they they went after his dog. And uh, if you want to really unify political Twitter, 
start attacking dogs because uh, I, I believe the dogs probably have something like a 97% approval rating uh, <laughs> nationwide. So this is this is it's the other three percent are cats. <laughs> right, right. I mean, maybe this this article was written by a cat. That that would explain a lot. But they said, right. and they're they're talking about uh, George H. W. Bush's uh, service dog that had been helping him out the last six months or so. It said Sully H. W. Bush is a service dog who had been with the president for six months, not his lifelong companion. Um, really, just crack journalism there, Slate. They figured out that this dog is not ninety four years old or something like seven hundred in dog years. Yeah. I... <laughs> it's a weird fact check that just is so <laughs> unnecessary. And I, I know that they love to like take away from, um, I mean, they, they've done this a lot. I mean, they, they do this with uh, the lesser stuff about Kavanaugh, you know, even before all the, the, the allegations came out, people, they were trying to find little different things that are just sort of nipping at the heels of somebody to try to undermine their credibility or the appearance of something or, you know, a really nice photo of, of the dog laying in front of the casket and beautiful moment. Uh, sad. We, we always forget too that like overall of any of this, like the Bush family lost a father. Right. I mean, that, that's just the way it is. Like they lost a father and the, the Bush family has to grieve not only privately, but also publicly. And that's, it's so gross that people can't just let people grieve and bury their loved ones and try to move on and over overcome that grief as they as they move into the, the later phases of their own lives but no let's just let's just cut them at the knees oh it wasn't actually his lifelong service dog it, it's just <laughs> oh man cool cool good 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 take I, I don't i don't know i mean i really i know that it will happen when bill clinton dies one day i know that it'll happen when hillary clinton dies one day i know it'll happen when obama dies one day when michelle obama dies one day some idiot publication on the right will throw down some crazy thing to try to describe credit the or not to discredit but just to to take away from the families that are grieving and the and the, the supporters that are grieving for those politicians that they looked up to and respected it's gross like let the, let let the living bury the dead and and move on you know you don't you don't gain any points by bringing people down when they're already you know dead and buried right and there's there's a time and a place to go through the legacy of uh, a former president who's passed away it's somebody who's was in public service for, you know, well, the day he turned 18, he, he signed up for the Navy and went to fight the Japanese. So he's literally been serving his country. He, he served his country his entire life. And there's certainly a time and a place for historians and for pundits like us to go through the, the legacy, you know, bit by bit of George Bush and say, you know, there was some problematic things when he was the head of the CIA, you know, regarding the Vietnam War. And, you know, the the the. South American Contras and the the kind of drug trade stuff under the late Reagan years and then under H.W.'s uh, presidency, there's there were some problematic things. And then he did some amazing things as president, obviously overseeing the fall of the the Soviet Union and 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 you know and he had a great career as an ambassador to the United Nations as well. Um, but yeah, the time to even go into the negative parts of somebody's legacy is not the day he dies. Yeah, it's not when the body is still warm. Like, give it a year. You know what I mean? Like, a year from now, we can all look back and start kind of formulating, you know, where was George H.W.'s, H.W. Bush's place historically? And we can analyze that and go back and forth on that. But doing it immediately is just classless, absolutely classless. Um, so let's move on to a, a sad piece of news that broke yesterday. And um, we don't exactly know 
at least I don't exactly know what the hell's actually going on, but there's been reports that the conservative magazine, uh, the Weekly Standard, which has been around for decades and decades, uh, may be closing their doors uh, as early as the end of the year, the end of this month. Um, so that's very sad news. Um, what have you heard about uh, the possible collapse of the, the Standard, which has been a great magazine for a long time? Sure, yeah. So it looks like, uh, so DC Media Group owns the Weekly Standard, and the Washington Examiner. It's two sides of the same house. Two different or two different publications that are that are separated with kind of a a, a Chinese wall to use a uh, a legal term right. uh, or a legal conflicts term, I guess. But basically, what it appears like is it hired new staffs. Uh, Seth Mandel is one coming from the New York Post, and uh, uh, Grant Addison is coming over from AEI to join Washington Examiner to round out the magazine. Because uh, right now, the Washington Examiner magazine is something that is handed out in D.C. Uh, basically for free on the street uh, by people uh, by different metro stations. And it's it's in little boxes, but it, but it's a free magazine. It's a publication in, in D.C. It looks like uh, Media Group has decided to expand that and make that a national publication. And obviously, it seems that that's coming at the expense of the Weekly Standard. Uh, it's it's a I think it's going to be a sad thing overall for conservative publication. I, I any really any conservative publication that shutters, I think, is a bad thing because it's a, a lot of different writers find their their income and vocation by writing for these various magazines. And obviously, every conservative writer can't be under the same hub because there's just there's one there's not enough money for that. Two there's not the kind of vision for that and three there's not the, the different publications have different uh strengths and weaknesses mm-hmm. i thought that the weekly standard the way that i perceived it was sort of the like a more mild rolling stone of the right where right. it did a lot of interesting cultural pieces while at the same time examining politics in like a quick hit sort of way a Haley bird obviously a very talented reporter alice lloyd very talented reporter both were doing great work over the weekly standard uh, Hannah Yost, who runs their, their their social media as well as running their kind of uh, literary content, she she does great work. Obviously, Jonathan V. Last, who would write really interesting cultural pieces while also having really good hot uh, quick takes uh, politically, he was he was great. And there, you know, uh, there's countless others, but a lot of people doing really good work over there. Obviously, shuttering a couple weeks before Christmas is horrific, and I never. It's been it's been pretty gross on the right to see people dancing upon the graves, to people that have lost their jobs, and especially people that I look around and I know that they struggle to make things meet in D.C. and to see them excited to see people that they disagree with on the right uh, lose their jobs and have to find ways to buy Christmas presents with no paycheck, I think is a pretty uh, a pretty gross state of affairs, especially on the right. And, and to be honest, I I haven't seen much on the left of anyone saying anything other than reporting the facts of, hey, it looks like the weekly standard's closing. And so to see kind of the right eat itself a little bit, especially from people who are like, oh man, like never, never attack the right. Like, how dare you criticize Trump? How dare you criticize like right. other people? Right. You know, it's just, it's kind of like, well, all right, man, like I'm, I'm taking note of this moment right now and it will not be forgotten. Right. And that, I really want to get into that. I, I think that the Weekly Standard has been perceived as just like an anti-Trump conservative publication, which is not true. I, I think that's completely unfair. There are some never-Trump Republicans uh, there, but it's not the whole staff. 
Um, and even though Stephen Hayes is the editor in chief, you know, Bill Crystal is probably the the face of the magazine. He's the most vocal. He's always on you know cable news, and he's uh, he's been pretty viciously anti-Trump. Um, and I have no problem with never Trumpers. I mean, I think I mean some of the most brilliant people on the right are never Trumpers. Look at you know Ben Shapiro, Jonah Goldberg, others. You know, but I, I do think Bill Crystal has kind of gone off the deep end a little bit, um, bordering on you know Trump derangement syndrome territory. Um, he, you know, has kind of refused to give the president any kind of credit, no matter what, across the board. And he'll come out against anything Trump does. He came out against the tax cuts, for God's sakes, you know, stuff like that. Um, I think only the, the judicial nominations are the only thing that Bill Kristol has acknowledged Trump is doing well. Um, and I think that, you know, unfairly, I don't think it's fair at all, but, you know, a lot of people on the right have kind of viewed the standard as an extension of Bill Kristol. Um, he doesn't run the show over there. Like he, he's not the editor in chief. Um, I think he's editor at large or, or senior editor, something like that. But it, it, do you think that Bill Crystal is kind of uh, a part of like the perception problem with the Weekly Standard in general? I do. I think I think a couple of things. Number one, I think that Bill Crystal hasn't been a part of the Weekly Standard operations in quite some time. Uh, he was not shown the door, but was moved away from day-to-day operations. And it was his uh, baby that he did starting. And he started another publication already. I, I forget what exactly it's called. I don't know if you know it offhand, but it's it's a new website with a handful of conservatives. Uh, right. Yeah. I don't, I don't know it off the top of my head. Yeah. But it, it's, it, it's a new, it's a new little website. It's, it's a variation of the weekly standard. Um, and so they, He's moved aside from day-to-day operations. And it's one of those things that people are very critical of Bill Kristol for the way that he pushed for and advocated for the Iraq war. I mean, you saw in Tucker Carlson's new book, uh, he criticizes Bill Kristol, which is, you know, interesting seeing as how Bill Kristol was a mentor to Tucker Carlson early on in his career. And to see him come back and kind of criticize his mentor, I mean, it does speak to D.C. uh, elites and people in the money who are, are rightly critical of people that had some really bad takes back then and didn't see any consequences for it uh, in the intellectual space where you can, because we're seeing a lot of that, you know, we're seeing that with like Max Boot, we're seeing that with these other guys that can throw out these, these kind of war hawkish takes. And when our American service members are, you know, come back home, mutilated or don't come back home, uh, there's no real consequences for these people that are in their, the Washington think tanks and Washington publications that advocate for things things that they don't necessarily have dispositive evidence for. And then uh, the next war or next conflict comes along and there's no consequences from the previous because we're, we're still listening to the same voices over and over again. And I think a lot of people hold Bill Crystal accountable in a similar vein to that, which speaks to a little bit of where my second point, which is that a lot of things in the conservative media space, they have difficulty separating the man from media and, you know, man or woman, but the man from the media, which is the say, the sense that like Bill Crystal became the Weekly Standard, rather than the Weekly Standard has Bill Crystal as an employee, it has a has a shelf of writers. I think some other some other publications are trying to struggle with that as well, trying to figure out how do you separate your your Vox from your Ezra Klein, how do you separate your Ben Dominic from the Federalist, how do you separate uh, uh, whatever that other guy is, Sean Davis from the Federalist. Like how do you how do you have an intellectual space of conservative ideas or liberal ideas and 
it's not about one man and one man's idea or one woman and one woman's idea. Because when it becomes about that, when it becomes the Bill Crystal show, then the publication as a whole loses the benefit of all of these people that put together really good work for the publication. When it time the shutter, it's like, oh, that's Bill Crystal's publication and you lose kind of the benefit. So you've seen these people that, that have moved into the spotlight trying to uh, find a space post Trump where they're like, oh, you know, in, in eight years or six years or, or two or two more years. I'm not going to be rewarded if I'm if I'm so like pro Trump. So I'm going to go like kind of like the wild like never Trumper thing. And the way that I'm going to do that is going on MSNBC and all these other different shows and being the kind of like never Trumper. I think that they think that they're going to kind of create a safe space for themselves. And I'm not sure one that that's going to be the case because I mean as we've seen with anything else, people have such a short memory. And then two, I think it's going to be a problem as conservative media has to adjust finding a way. From these personalities into the space, right? Yeah, I, I definitely agree, and I do want to play just devil's advocate real quick. Um, sure. And I, I know I'm, this is a position that I don't actually hold, um, but uh, when it comes to the people, the Trump train types, the the hardcore Trump supporters, and their their hatred for for the you know the quote unquote never Trump publications like the Weekly Standard, even though the Weekly Standard has plenty of writers that are very friendly to Trump. It's not, you know, they just, you know, and like you said, it, it kind of became the Bill Crystal show. And, but like, I get why, you know, the Trump train guys hate Bill Crystal. I get it because we struggled under president Obama for eight years. We were getting beat up. We had lost the culture war entirely. You know, all, you know, they beat the crap out of McCain. They beat the crap out of Mitt Romney. Neither one of those guys really fight back. We finally get one of our guys on the right in there. And then Bill Crystal dedicates his entire life to attacking him. So they're like, guys, come on. Like, we can't, we finally won something. We've been losing for eight years. Every day we wake up and lose. We finally get a win, and then it's not good enough for Bill Crystal. So, like, I do get that. Like, I, I am sympathetic to that. I just wish that, take out your ire on Bill Crystal, not on, not on a week, the Weekly Standard that employs 100 people, you know, with, with some of the most brilliant conservative writers in the country. Oh, I, I, I 100% agree with that. And that's and that's where you have to – I don't know how conservatism does this because there are people – I try with that focus in mind not to kind of look at, oh, hey, everybody everybody at the Daily Caller is a looney tin or everybody at, at National Review is just super sophisticated or everybody at the Weekly Standard is X. You know, I try to, I try to look around being like, hey, you know, that person does good work. They produce a good body of work. Their ideas are pretty good. And people make mistakes, too. But I, I think that too often people on the right attach uh, particular narratives to people, and that's it. They have no – there's no expansion beyond that. Like, they, you know, Bill Kristol will, will live and die in some conservatives' hearts as the guy that pushed for the Iraq war, you know. Uh, uh, other – people i don't want to give too many other examples because i don't want to like be forwarding that kind of the right, same narrative right. that I'm, I'm, I'm pushing against right now but but people people make mistakes people are people are people and i want conservatism to move to the point where like we reward people that have good ideas like and produce a good body of work and then we move away from uh, uh people that don't and and we but we we don't narrow our focus to where all our ideas are just centered because it, people are not seeing what this is going to look like Right. Every publication right now is struggling. Every single one of them. They right. struggle. To pay, they struggle to pay their employees. They struggle to uh, 
they they struggle to get ad revenue by the way that Facebook continues to change its algorithms. It uh, most of these people don't realize most of these are not paid simply by advertising. A lot of these places have backers that that fund their media, and th- and those media companies and media conglomerates make up the way in which they they make money and, and to some extent kind of push their merit message and narrative. So I mean, if you look at uh, Glenn Beck and uh, Mark Levin. They just teamed up mashing the blaze and CRTV. I mean, these things are having to come together because they're realizing there's no way to make money unless they bring more conservatives together and centralize some of this. And so if we want to if we want to just destroy one publication just because we don't like one guy and everybody's happy to dance upon the grave, like we're going to see more and more of that. And I, I personally believe that we're better served on the right by being a big tent conservatism rather than kind of this. Uh, never Trump issues I found to be a little bit too narrow focused because any man makes mistakes and and, and every man is sinful and to be so like no matter what you do I'm never going to support you I think is a little I mean as a Christian man I I just find it to be unchristian Uh, but I I, I think it just I I totally agree it doesn't speak to the human condition more generally but uh, but yeah so I I hope we can move to be more big big tent conservative because I think that there's a lot of good ideas. And if we think about the way in which a conservative comes down to the, the way that they view government, we want a lot of little ideas. I mean, the, the laboratories of democracy would be conceivably hundreds of laboratories of democracy rather than, hey, we want our Fox News to kind of tell us how the lab should run its business. Because that's not that's that's not what we what we believe as conservatives. Right. And like. Being a big tent party is why I like the Republican Party. It's it's one of the reasons why I'm proud to be a Republican. And we, we've seen the Democratic Party over the years, especially recently, uh, become just completely monolithic. I mean, they're, they're completely a uniform party. You're seeing a little bit of that break apart with the, the socialist wing, which is even scarier. But, um, you know, Nancy Pelosi never has any trouble getting her caucus in line. Where Paul Ryan over the, the last few years, it's like, man, that guy, I can't believe he still has hair, you know, because there's so the Republican Party is a big tent party. You have your traditional conservatives, you have your your, uh, you know, more populist Trump supporters. You have the libertarian. I mean, you have libertarians all the way down to like borderline anarchists who vote Republican. Yeah, I mean, it is a it is a I mean, if you look at even our elected officials, I mean, you have Lindsey Graham and you have Rand Paul, you know, you have Ted Cruz, you have. Rob Portman, guys. Like, I mean, they—they're all over the place. This is a big tent party, and people need to remember that, both on the Trump side and the anti-Trump side, and also both sides need to remember. Also, President Trump is a moment in time. He has four years, maybe eight years. I, I would actually bet he will have eight years. I think he has a very good chance of getting reelected. But that, even the Reagan Revolution, Reagan was a moment in time. It was only eight years. The party moves on. The conservative movement moves on you can't kill off anybody who doesn't support trump because trump isn't going to be he's not you know he's not a dictator he's not president for life he will be gone you know at the very latest 2024 and we need the conservative movement needs to keep moving forward after that so yeah the siphoning off the never trumpers does not make any sense to me as a long-term strategy yeah i know i mean i i 100 agree with that there's a uh there is a lot to unpack there. And I think, well, number one, I think the the Democrats have, have 
a long way to go if they think that they can beat Donald Trump with what they've been doing. Uh, I mean, we can spend hours talking about that. But I mean, there there is a long way to go if the Democrats want to be. I mean, actually, Michael Avenetti was kind of right on Twitter yesterday when he said, you're not going to beat Donald Trump reading him poetry. It's going to take way more than that. I mean, and the Democrats just don't, they don't have a fighter. They have no one that is battle tested to beat Donald Trump. And I think that they're going to, they're going to really struggle with that. Right. No, I agree. And their, their problem, well, like most candidates, um, is going to be the oppo research because a lot of the people that are talking about running are very new to politics uh, or at least very new to national politics, like people like Kamala Harris, who, you know, was attorney general in California, but she's only been in the Senate for two years and uh, nobody's ever done oppo research on her. And <laughs> there's going to be a lot of skeletons in that closet, as opposed to Trump, where oppo research just doesn't work because it was all baked into the cake. He's kind of Teflon in that way. Like, what are you going to say about Trump that we don't already know? Um, and people have already accepted. So, yeah, I do think they're going to have trouble. But, you know, I just hope between the, 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 the quote-unquote never-Trumpers and the Trump train wing of the Republican Party, there has to be some kind of reconciliation here. Or when Trump is gone, it's going to be tough to unify behind a candidate, you know, which we're obviously going to have to do every four years. And I, I, it's just it's so counterproductive. One more thing on, on the Weekly Standard— I would have to. It's. I don't know when the the standard was founded. I believe it's the eighties. Correct. I believe so. Yeah. There, there's got to be somebody that would be interested in, in purchasing the company. You'd think. I mean, it, it seems like such a a, a, a story brand that somebody would be interested in, in keeping it going. Yeah, I, I think. I think because it's it is owned by the media group. I think there was some discussion of whether or not it would just be sort of incorporated into the new Washington Examiner magazine, because obviously building out the magazine from their mainly online publication right now is going to take a a big team. Uh, And it's going to take a team that's kind of splitting their own house from where they've been almost unilaterally focused on online. I'm not sure that anyone would buy it. I think that because I'm not, I don't believe that it's actually not profitable. I think we're seeing a lot of things that are saying, Oh, you know, it's, it lost a lot of subscribers and whatever. I haven't seen anything and heard anything from people that are in the inside to suggest that that's true. I have seen things to suggest that this is just sort of a priorities shift rather than an actual, like, business decision, if that makes sense. Right. Well, so, I mean, I, I hope and pray that you know, they figure out a way to keep the doors open or or these staffers get jobs with the examiner or something like that. Obviously, anybody losing a job a couple weeks before Christmas would be absolutely terrible. So I, I really hope that doesn't happen. Um, I'm out of time. Uh, Tyler, where can everybody find you online and read your stuff and uh, keep in touch with you and all that good stuff? Yeah, follow me on Twitter at the underscore Tyler underscore Grant on Twitter and uh, connect. Let's continue the discussion. All right. And we'll definitely have Tyler back on. It's always great talking to him. I'm Brady Leonard. I'll be back on Monday. No gimmicks.